Good morning, Redeemer Church, and those guests who are attending online with us today. It's my privilege to get to teach you this morning, to share God's word with you. I love being able to do this and give our pastor a needed rest and, and let you hear another perspective on God's word. So last week, uh, Brother Steve shared on humility, and he pointed us to the humility of Christ as our example. And today's message in Mark, as we continue our series, is on the inclusiveness and generosity of Christ. And I've entitled the message, Whoever is not against us is for us. And folks, I spent uh, quite a bit of time trying to figure out a title for the message. And as I was reading through the passage, I said, well, Christ said it right there. What better words than Christ to use when he said, whoever is not against us is for us. I want to share with you a story from my childhood. When I was about nine years old, um, our family moved up to Springfield, Missouri for my father to continue his theological education. And one winter when I was about 10 years old, uh, my brother decided to hang out with his friends one evening and it had snowed several inches outside. And being the kid brother that I was and looking up to my older brother, I decided that they needed my company. And so I basically made a pest out of myself. And uh, my brother and his friends got tired of this, and so they, he came up with an idea that was really effective. He wrestled me down to the ground, took off my tennis shoes, they were probably Converse All-Stars, and he threw them up on the shed outside our house. And so I'm here standing in the snow, my shoes are up on the shed, and my brother and his friends run off. And you think, well, that's kind of mean for an older brother to do. But, you know, if you have siblings, you know that that's, that's pretty normal. And um, I know that my brother loved me. There was no doubt in my mind that he valued me. But I, I understood a lesson that evening, and that's that I wasn't included in his circle of friends. And he made that very clear by his actions. And I think we've all felt excluded and it's especially hurtful when it happens with family, the family of God. So we're going to look at Mark 9, 38 through 41, and it should be up on your screen, or you can follow along in your own Bible or on your mobile device. But it starts with uh, John, one of the apostles, addressing Christ, and he says, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture in Mark where Christ teaches all of us some valuable truths. Lord, we all need to hear this today. For most of us, this is not new learning. It's reminding us of truths that we already know, but maybe we need to apply more than we have. Lord, I pray that you would bless the teaching and preaching of your word. I pray for everyone listening today that they would truly participate, that they would 
ask the Holy Spirit to open their hearts and their minds to receive the truths of God's word and then to actually go and apply it in their daily life with their families and their friendships. So God, we're asking for the Holy Spirit to teach us today through your servant. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to walk you through a timeline so you get a better feel for where this is coming from. Why would the apostles stop someone who is casting out demons in Christ's name? So you have to go back in John 1, and you see that Jesus hand-selected 12 apostles. And this was an interesting group of people. They were not all alike. They were very different. It was very eclectic. You had fishermen and tax collectors and people that were zealots. And so you had all of these people put together in a leadership team, and Jesus selected them. And then in Mark 3, we see that he appoints his 12 apostles. And he he says three things. First of all, that you may be with me. Then that I may send you out so that you can preach in my name. And third, so that you can cast out evil spirits and demons. So the apostles had been hand-selected, and then Christ appointed and gave them authority to do these things. And he'd also set the example we see in Mark 1 that he actually cast out uh, a demon from a man in in the synagogue in Capernaum. So Christ had modeled this for them. And then in Mark 6, he actually sends them out on a mission trip. And I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip, but he says, don't take any money, don't take a suitcase or any extra clothing, and don't even make any hotel reservations. Just just go, and I will open up doors for you. And so they go, and they're sent out in his name that they could preach the message of repentance, but then they also drove out demons and healed people. So that's what's interesting when we come into Mark chapter 9, because Jesus takes three of his companions, uh, James, John, and Peter, and takes them up to the mountain where he is transfigured before them. And basically what that means is God's glory was on display in Christ. What had been hidden from them was now fully revealed, and he was shining bright with the glory of God. And he began to talk with Moses and Elijah, these great men of old, that Jesus was talking to. And Peter and James and John are beholding this, and and it's a wonderful moment in their lives. And so they come down from this mountaintop experience, and they come back to the disciples, the other nine, who are trying to cast out a demon, something they'd already been appointed to do, something they'd already done with some success, but now they weren't able to do it. And Jesus sees them not only not able to cast out the demons, but there's this huge crowd of people around them, and they're arguing with the teachers of the law. It's not exactly what he had in mind when he sent them out. But as they're unable to drive out this evil spirit, we also see in Mark 9 that Jesus moves in and casts out the evil spirit. And then in private, the disciples get away from the crowds and they say, Christ, why were we not able to cast out this demon? And Jesus said, this, time, this kind only comes out through prayer. So he's teaching them a valuable leadership lesson here. And so as we look at this, when we come to this portion of Scripture, what's just happened in this timeline 
is after Jesus taught them about how to cast out that demon, then they're beginning to argue amongst themselves about who's the greatest. And Steve talked about that last week where, you know, the disciples are frustrated because they weren't able to do something and then they begin to fight amongst themselves. So the next thing that happens is they come upon somebody who is actually casting out demons in Christ's name. And instead of welcoming him to the team and including him, they actually tell him to cease and desist. Stop doing what you're doing. And so John speaks up to Jesus, and I don't know if John thinks that he's actually doing something that Jesus would be proud of, or if he feels bound to tell Jesus that somebody else is doing things in his name. But when, when John reaches out to him, Jesus decides, here's another moment where I can teach divine truth. And so he shares four truths with his disciples. The first truth that I want you to, to see this morning is that God can use anyone. God can use anyone. I mean, think about it, how God has used you in your own life, how God has used me. The Bible is full of stories where God has used people both in the Old Testament and New Testament. Many times we don't even know their names. Many times they're people that are otherwise evil people, but God decides to use them for his purposes. So here's the Apostle John telling somebody to stop doing what he's doing because he doesn't think that God can use anyone. He thinks that we're the ones that are appointed. We're the ones that have the experience. You know, we should be doing this ministry, not you. But Christ is teaching them that that he can use anyone. You and I have no idea how many people God calls to himself. We We don't really have a clue. Every minute of every day and every city and neighborhood and family, God is calling people into his service. Whether we resist him or embrace that role, God is calling us and he's including us. God can use anybody and I'm so grateful because that means God can use me and he can use you. But I wanted to share one story with you and I think this is a great story for you to share with your family or maybe having a personal devotion this week because it's one that most people probably have never heard or if they've heard it, their focus has always been on the main character of the story. But I want to illustrate the point that God can use anybody. Now turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5 or follow along on the screen. 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left 
taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Now, the first thing I want to tell you is that although Naaman took all of these gifts to go with him to try to seek the favor of God, none of those gifts were given. God doesn't need that from us. God, God can use anybody, and God wants to include anybody. And what we see from the life of this young girl, try to put yourself in her place for a moment. Aram was actually what's now called Syria. And so this army from Syria went down and invaded the nation of Israel. And they took this little girl back with them. We don't know if her parents were killed in the raid. We don't know if they just abducted her because she was out alone. We have no idea. We don't even know her name. But this young girl grows up in in what I would consider a traumatic childhood. But yet God uses her. There's this great warrior, this man who's very brave and he's respected and he has leprosy. And for some reason, God moved her in compassion. She knew that the God of Israel was kind, that he was generous, that he was powerful. And so she decided to tell her mistress about this God in Israel. And it was her voice and her message and her influence that caused this great man of God, this great man in this army to go seek out the man of God. Now, time would not permit us to read the whole thing, but let me give you the Cliff Notes version. Naaman goes to Israel and shows up before the king of Israel, and the king of Israel is like, what is this guy doing? I, I don't have the power of life and death. I can't heal anybody. Is he trying to pick a fight with me? And so the king is is getting angry and he's frustrated. And Elisha, the prophet of God, hears about this and he tells the king, send Naaman to me. So Naaman shows up, and I love this about Elisha, because he doesn't even come out of his house to meet this great commander of, of this army with his whole entourage. He doesn't even come out of his house. And he says, oh, go wash seven times in the Jordan River and you will come up cleansed. Well, Naaman being this general and this mighty man who's used to people making a big deal out of him, he gets angry. And so he refuses to do it. And he goes, I could have, I could have washed in the rivers of Aram, and, and they're much cleaner than this Jordan River. And he, his pride wells up in him. And one of his servants says to him, another person that God uses, he says to him, Master, if he would have asked you to do some great thing, would you have done it? Why not do this simple thing that he asks? So Naaman goes and and dips himself in the Jordan River seven times, and he comes up clean. And matter of fact, his skin is like a small child. It's so clean. And there's a point there where not only did God use this unnamed servant girl to cause this man to receive physical healing, If you read the rest of the story through 19, you will see that God transforms him on the inside, that that work of God in his life and healing him actually created a deeper work of transformation to the point where he no longer worshiped false gods, but he worshiped the God of Israel. Do you understand how God can use anybody? One unnamed girl in the Old Testament, and God used her, not only to bring about a a miracle, but to bring about a spiritual transformation. That, my friends, is the kind of God we serve, a God who includes. He can use anyone.
Now, who was this someone <laughs> that John talks about? He goes, you know, Lord, there was someone who was casting out demons. Who was this someone? Where did he come from? Well, and the truth is, we can only speculate. Some commentators say, well, he's probably, an, he's probably a disciple of John the Baptist, and it had some exposure to Jesus. There's other commentators that say, no, he's probably one of the 70 that were included in this. But this is somebody that they didn't know. And I think that's the beauty of this is, does it really matter where he came from? What really matters is that he believed in Jesus Christ and he used the gifts and the power that God gave him and he began to be a difference maker even though he was on the outside looking in. Where did he get the knowledge and the power to cast out demons? The Spirit of God. Just like you and I receive power from God to do whatever ministry that God's called us to, that's, that doesn't come from us. That comes from the Holy Spirit of God empowering us and gifting us for his service so that we can be a blessing. All we know is that Jesus referred to this man as being on the same team as the disciples. He said, whoever is not against us is for us. So truth number one, God can use anyone. I hope that encourages your heart today. You know, if you've been sitting on the sidelines and thinking, you know, what do I have to offer God? I've got good news for you. God can use you. All you have to do is surrender and yield to him and let the spirit of God use you to be a blessing. So truth number two, there's more than enough ministry for all of us. There's more than enough ministry for all of us. Let's look at 39 through 41 of our passage again. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one one moment, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose their reward. Okay, there's more than enough ministry for all of us, from a mighty miracle casting out demons to the simplest act of kindness and mercy, offering a cup of cold water in his name, and everything in between. Friends, if you get hung up on the fact that maybe you can't do a ministry in our church or in our community because everybody else is doing it, but you're passionate about it, let me assure you, there is more than enough ministry for all of us. If you ever get discouraged and think, why isn't Redeemer using my talents and abilities? My thought is, well, first of all, have you even put yourself out there and said, look, I don't see a ministry for this, but this is something God's laid on my heart to do. And let the elders of the church help you find a place of meaningful service. Friends, there's more than enough ministry for all of us in our church, in our community, and in our world. Jesus made the statement, don't stop this man. Why, why would he say that? Because Jesus knew that that man was ministering to people that the disciples were not ministering to. There were people in need of freedom and being released from the bondage of the evil one. And Jesus let us know there's more than enough for us to do when he said, friends, look at the harvest all around us. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his field. So friends and fellow members, if you've been sitting on the sideline because first of all, you don't think God can use you, and secondly, you don't, you don't think there's a, a place in a ministry for you, I'm sorry, but, but that's just not how it is. So I'm just going to ask you to trust in God that what Christ is telling us is what we need to obey. So what Jesus would have said to John is instead of stopping this guy, pray for more guys like him who are going to go out and cast out demons. Think about the good that he was doing in the name of Christ. Why would you want to discourage that? Jesus referred to casting out demons as a miracle. But then he also held up the simplest act of mercy, and both are done in his name, and he blesses them. So friends, don't feel like you have to have a visible, um, you know, just a a ministry that everybody sees or that everybody recognizes. The whole spectrum God can use for his kingdom. So let's get in and roll up our sleeves and, and realize that there's more than enough ministry for all of us. If it's done in his name, it counts. And third, there is a reward for anyone who serves others in his name. When he said this, he said, anyone who offers a cup of cold water in my name, they will not lose their reward. Now, I've heard some people before say, you know, I don't really want rewards from heaven. And what I would tell you is read through the scriptures and see how many times that God promises to give eternal rewards to us and tells us to work for things that are eternal, those awards and rewards that are eternal and not for things that are temporal. That's where our focus and our perspective should be. And I I understand when people say, well, you know, when we get all our awards, we'll, we'll lay them at his feet. And there is a scripture that says that. But think for a minute that a generous God wants to reward his people for acting like him and doing his work. And so I, for one, I will tell you this right now, the the rewards that Christ chooses to give me, I'm going to accept humbly and gratefully. I don't, I don't, want to be one of those people that that discounts the rewards that a heavenly father wants to give his children. So it's not wrong to be motivated by heavenly rewards because Christ tells us work for those rewards, those things that do not pass away. So I would encourage you to, to understand that anything you do in the name of Christ God holds that to your account and he rewards you for that. It's not working for your salvation. It's working out your salvation and your generous father wanting to bless you. So there's a reward for anyone who serves in his name. And I'll tell you, some of the greatest rewards for me are just being used of him. When I see a message I preach or a lesson I teach or some pastoral counseling that I give, when I see it encourage a brother or sister in Christ, when I see them begin to act differently because of the influence that, that God's entrusted to me, I am, that's a reward. I am blessed. That's an eternal reward. That's something I'll take with me all my life, and, and you can be that way too. So what I would say is whatever you do in his name, know that your Father wants to reward you for serving others 
on his behalf. The fourth truth is don't hinder the work of God. Don't hinder the work of God. And first of all, let's look at God's work in you. So don't hinder the work of God in you. I think about how John and the apostles were diminished a little bit by finding this person. I personally think they were motivated out of jealousy. You know, they were frustrated that they'd not been able to cast out demons in front of the crowds and in front of the teachers of the law, and they wanted to be approved of, they wanted to be successful. And I think, in a way, they took it out on this guy. But I feel like that hindered the work of God in them, and Christ had to set them straight. So it it not only hinders God's work in you, but it can also hinder God's work in others. I want you to put yourself in the place of that man for a moment. Here's an apostle that comes to you and tells you, stop casting out demons in the name of Christ. And he asks why, and they say, because you're not one of us. What if that man stopped doing what he was doing? What if he just laid ministry aside and went his own way? What work of God would have been missed in his life? What blessings would have been missed in his life? And if you don't think about him, think about the people that he was serving. These people that were, uh, were beachheads of the evil one were in their lives, and it, and it was affecting their relationships, their relationship with God, their relationships with others. Think of those people that would have not been set free. And think of the family members that would have had to deal with these people for years and years had not they been set free. So sometimes us excluding others can hinder the work of God in us and in others. So here's some common hindrances to the work of God in case you're wondering. This is some common ones that that come to my mind. Number one, our own insecurities and jealousy. That's what I think motivated the apostles, their own insecurities and jealousy. They'd been appointed. They'd actually been successful at casting out demons. They, they hit a, an obstacle where they weren't. They began to question their leadership. They began to be jealous of someone else that was successful. And, and so we see that their own insecurities and jealousies motivated them. Now, friends, in every church, in every family, um, there are those who are motivated by insecurity and jealousy. And and that's got to be a work of God in our lives. That is a human default um, mechanism and emotion. And that's something that that God has to root out in our lives if we're going to reach full maturity in Christ-likeness. And so we have to learn to begin to ask ourselves a question, am I hindering the work of God in my life? Am I hindering the work of God in the lives of others? If so, what's motivating that? Is it my need for approval? Is it my own insecurity where I'm comparing myself to other people in their ministries? Is it just, is it jealousy? And that's something that God's going to have to root out from us as we continue to find a way to embrace the the attitude of Christ that whoever is not against us is for us. And then the the next common hindrance is just a sinful tendency to exclude others. That's something we learn as little kids, isn't it? It follows us through grade school, middle school, high school, adult life. 
we have a tendency to exclude others and prop ourselves up. And, and maybe the apostles were just, maybe they weren't necessarily jealous or insecure. Maybe they just didn't like the fact that the guy was outside the lines and he wasn't a part of them. But there is a, a natural bent in all of us to exclude others, and Christ is trying to break through that barrier. Another common hindrance to the work of God is worldly distractions. Friends, you and I are supposed to be instruments that God can use to bring his hope, his love, his kindness, his truth to a world. But if we're scattered, if, we're, um, if we are distracted, then God oftentimes cannot use us. If we're distracted by our careers, if we're distracted by money, by influence, even by our own families, and we don't have a proper balance in our lives, sometimes we can hinder the work of God in our lives. I think that's what the problem was with the apostles. They'd gone out and ministered in his name and seen great success, and then they took their eye off the ball. When they tried to cast out that demon, Christ told them, this kind only comes out through prayer. So what that tells me, maybe you see it differently, but what that tells me is the apostles, when they went to cast out this demon, they were not spiritually prepared to do so. They dropped their, the ball. They'd taken their eye off the ball. And so Christ is reminding us that we cannot be distracted. And so I would ask you a question. What is it for you that's distracting you right now? Maybe it's finances. Uh, maybe it's your kids. All those things have to be considered, but have they become distractions? And is the work of God hindered in your life because they're in the way a faithful service to him. And then the fourth thing, the fourth common hindrance is underestimating our enemy. You know, sometimes when we do ministry, it because we're operating in our giftedness, it gets comfortable. And if we're not careful, we begin to rely on our own experience and on our own skill set. And we lose that sense of, God, I need you every moment of every day. I need your power in my life. I need your anointing on my ministry. And we begin to underestimate the enemy that we fight. Paul said in Ephesians 6, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And friends, after that, Paul goes on to say, therefore, put on the whole armor of God so that you can take your stand against the evil one. I know when some people who are listening to this think about you know, all of this demon possession and Christ casting out impure spirits and the disciples and this other person doing that, I think some people are tempted to think, well, that was for that time. You know, Christ came from heaven to earth, and that was this epic battle that was happening just then. And other people think, well, it was just during the time of the apostles, although I would argue here's a guy that was not an apostle that was casting out demons. We also see that Philip, a deacon in the church, cast out demons. So I think sometimes we have a tendency to think, well, is most of this psychological? Is it really demon possession, or is that just what they called it? And I will say there are a lot of people with psychological problems that have nothing to do with, with the evil one, 
but there are some people who have set up, allowed the evil one to set up beachheads in their lives and have given him more and more influence and control in their lives. And friends, they are in bondage. And it shouldn't surprise us. Look at who we're fighting. Paul says, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness. Friends, we know because we're children of light, we know there's darkness out there and it's real against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Make no mistake, you have an enemy. He roams around like a a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. His job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And my fear is that many of us, especially in in the American church, have been lulled into this sense of, of there's not really a battle out there. And what I would tell you is if we don't feel those influences of darkness, if we don't feel that light versus darkness battle, then maybe we're just not close enough to the battle lines. Maybe we're so far back behind the battle lines that we don't even know a war is going on. And and friends, this is convicting to me. There have been times in my life in ministry when I had such an acute awareness of the, the spiritual forces that were out there And there were times when I just felt like all I could do was fall on my knees and pray and do battle that way, and I would sense God's victory and his power coming into that situation. We have so many people in our spheres of influence that Satan is buffeting. Many of them, he has already established a beachhead in their lives, and they're enslaved. And and he loves it that way. And we have the power as the Church of Christ to offer the power of God and the ministry of God in their lives. So friends, let's not underestimate our enemy. Are you putting on the whole armor of God? Faith, righteousness, truth, the sword of the spirit, shield of faith. Are you arming yourself for battle? Because it is a real battle. And again, if you're not feeling that, then maybe you're distracted. Maybe you're too far away from the battle lines and you need to re-engage. But all of these things, you know, I was talking about the work of God in me and you, the work of God in others, and the hindrances to God's work. But I want to tell you about the ultimate work of God. The ultimate work of God in Naaman's life was not that he was healed of his leprosy. The ultimate work of God in his life was when he began to realize, I have been worshiping false gods. This is the one true God. Do you know what he did? He he asked the prophet Elijah, he said, is it okay if I take some dirt from the land of Israel, I'm gonna gather some soil as much as a team of mules can carry, and I wanna take this back to Aram, which is modern day Syria, and from here on out, I'm gonna only worship the God of Israel on this soil. And he said, please forgive me when I go into the temple of, of our country's God, and the king is leaning on my shoulder, and we bow there, please know that in my heart, I'm worshiping the one true God. Would you forgive me for that? And Elisha said, go in peace. Do you see the difference? The man came to him as prideful and arrogant, and he walked away completely transformed and changed by the kindness and mercy and power of God. Friends, the ultimate work of God 
in our lives is what Jesus Christ came to do, and that's provide eternal salvation. The ultimate work of God is salvation in Jesus Christ. He himself said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Friends, when Jesus looked at that man that John and the other disciples discouraged, he saw a man who got that. This man knew that he needed to cast out these demons so that these people could be freed and they could be introduced to this Savior, Jesus Christ. Every ministry that you and I do, whether it's something great and public and influential, or whether it's as simple as offering a cup of cold water in his name, the, the whole point of that is to demonstrate the kindness, the love, and the power of Christ. There's nothing more powerful than the atonement of Jesus Christ. Many of you who are watching this service and worshiping with us today, you have personally experienced the love of Christ. And what you came to realize is that God included you. You see, not only can God use anyone, God can save anyone. And he wants to save you. If you don't know him, he wants to save you. If you know him, he wants to transform your life. He wants to make you different and more and more like Christ. He wants you to reach maturity in him. But you do that through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate work of God. So friends, I have good news for you today. God included you with his love and his kindness and his mercy and his power. He has included you. He can use you. He wants to use you. There is more than enough ministry, trust me, there's more than enough ministry for all of us to do. And there's a reward for anyone who serves in his name. So friends, let's not hinder the work of God. Let's roll up our sleeves, include others who name the name of Christ, and let's tackle this thing called the Great Commission Let's go out and make an eternal difference for Christ. Would you join me in that? Whoever's not against us is for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for this small passage of scripture that at first glance doesn't seem to to have a lot of information for us. But Lord, as we unpack it, we see the power of your love and your inclusiveness. We see the ways that we can hinder the work of God in our own lives and the lives of others. Forgive us, God. I pray, Lord, that we would embrace the greatest truth of all and the greatest power of all, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be your ambassadors. May we share the love of Christ and the kindness of Christ with all who will listen. And would you use us, Father, to include others into your kingdom? We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.